something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? I'm Gammy, and this is Positively Gam. Something that's been on my mind lately, it's always on my mind. Self-doubt. I go through it a lot and have spoken about it, some of my insecurities on this podcast and on Red Table Talk. I know we all go through self-doubt regarding different things, and so I wanted to talk to someone who could shed some light on why we go through this self-doubt and ways we can become more confident in ourselves. So let's get into the episode. Dr. Alfie M. Breland Noble, known professionally as Dr. Alfie, is a pioneering psychologist, scientist, author, and mental health correspondent. As an in-demand expert in BIPOC mental health, she hosts a video podcast, Couched in Color with Dr. Alfie, and is a regular broadcast, digital, and print media contributor for various outlets, including NBC, CNN, PBS, and the New York Times. And she's been a guest on our own Red Table Talk. So welcome, Dr. Alfie, to Positively Gam. Thank you, Gammy. Yeah, I'm so glad to see you again. It was such a joy to have you on Red Table Talk. And, you know, I just enjoyed our conversation so much. I just felt a need to talk a little bit more about some things that I feel a lot of people go through and definitely me personally. So, and it's so interesting because I looked at my daily ohm the other day. I mm-hmm. give the email mm-hmm. and it was recognizing your value. Amen. And I was like, how appropriate, like this is karma or something. 
Because that's what came up. And it's change your thinking to knowing that your life matters and that you are important. And, you know, it can be, it says it can be easy sometimes to buy into the illusion of our own insignificance. A couple things. So just thinking about coming into this space and having this conversation with you, it made me think of both of us as Black women. Let's start there, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think start extrapolating out to all people who have these marginalized identities. So I, I want to start there, right? So when you have an identity where you're not always in spaces where people look like you or think like you or talk like you or share your experiences, I think for many of us, particularly I think about the world that you live in and how we, we all see you publicly, I would imagine that there are often times when you're in space, you might be the only person of color in the room. There are times maybe when you're in spaces where you're the only woman in the room. There are times when you're the only representative of your generation, not always, but sometimes. So I think a lot of us go through that and have those experiences. And when we're looking around and we don't see people who mirror us, right? One thing I feel is really important is you need your mirrors. That's why parents are so important and caregivers, because that's somebody who you can look at them and say, oh, okay, so they've had X, Y, or Z experience and they made it through, maybe I can. But when we don't have that, I think we tend to internalize and think there's something wrong with us. That's always the immediate thought. There's something wrong with us. And then the final thing I'll add is that gets reinforced when you watch things in all types of media, whatever kind of media it is. Let's not just pick on social media. Mm -hmm. And everything you see does not reinforce you positively. So the whole name of the show, Positively Gam, right? That's a positive reflection of who you are and what you represent in the world. But we don't all always get that. And, and you right. don't always get it either. Neither do I. So that's right. what contributes to our self-doubt. Right. And we don't always feel that. And I have to say that even being on Red Table, I mean, there's sometimes when, first of all, me being at the table with Jada and Willow. Willow, who is so <laughs> prolific and so far above her years in her thinking and the way she expresses herself. And just their experience and their comfort level in front of the camera. Sometimes I'm sitting at the table and I actually shrink. Yeah. Right? And I just, I can't find my voice. I can't find my words to fit into the conversation. So there have been several episodes that I've watched and I'm like, wow, I'm actually not saying anything. And it's just yeah. my own self-doubt that I don't yeah. feel like that I have anything to contribute to the conversation. And sometimes I actually don't. And so I know when to be quiet. Yes. I don't need to talk if I ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, but there yeah. are some times when I feel like I have, that I want to say things, but I don't know if it's the right thing to say. You know, and it's, once again, that self-doubt. I don't feel like what I'm thinking is important enough to even share. And yes. so that's been challenging for me, even... In that setting, and people assume that, you know, I'm very comfortable. At, I am not. But I also feel like this is something, this is not new for me. This is something, I'm, I swear to you, I've always felt this way. Mm -hmm. Even as a child, I just have always been uncomfortable in my own skin. Yes. And I don't know how to combat yeah. it. And I've been in therapy and therapists have tried to delve into my childhood. If, was there something in how my mother and father raised me, how I was yeah. treated? I mean, I was the youngest of four. That's the only thing that 
that I can think of. I don't feel like I was neglected. I, yeah. I was the youngest. I have a sister who was two years ahead of me. We were very close. And typically, mm-hmm. I would not do things without her. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would go to school, of course, and be in, in mm-hmm. class. But when it came to our outside activities, I, you know, I wanted to be wherever she was. Yes. Yeah. So we went to the Y. I wanted to be in the same classes that she was in. And it didn't always happen. There were classes that we took separately. Mm -hmm. But it was always that comfort to me that when we were switching, like if she was taking Spanish dance, I might be in uh, ballet. But Mm -hmm. I knew like when it was time for us to switch and go Mm -hmm. to another class, either I was going to pass her in the hallway or I was going to see her or meet up or we're not taking this class together, but then the next class will be in the same. You know what I mean? It was just all like, and I mean, that has gone on for you into my adulthood. Yes. It was yes. just always yes. this don't want to do anything by myself. Mm-hmm. 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 I think, Gam, some of that, think about it like this. One thing I will, I hope that you will carry with you The first thing I thought of, and I'll come back to this because I got to say both of these things is your feelings are always valid, but they're not always accurate. Think about that. Right. And so you have these feelings. Sometimes feelings come up. My mom, she used to cease me. She used to say, and my grandma, the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't know. You know, that black folks say that. And so that idea that it's still a devil, but you know it. So it's comfortable. Yes. Think about that. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. feeling sometimes you're used to having that feeling. So when it comes up, we just accept it. This is accurate because I always feel like how often do we say that's just how I am? Yes. I'm just, that's, I'm just like that. Right. And so I think part of it is so that's a piece of it. So I, I want to come back to that. Before that, I want to say this. I wonder if you and your listeners and your viewers can think about reframing it so that you focus on those aspects that I'm just listening to you talk that you shared where you talked about what you do know. Sometimes I'm going to reflect it back to you. Sometimes I sit at the red table and I have nothing to say because there's nothing for me to contribute. Damn, how many people can say that? How many people literally just talk and talk because they're just trying to fill up the space? Whereas Mm. what you shared is I know that there are times when there's nothing for me to contribute. And so I don't contribute anything. Right. So sometimes all you need to do is just acknowledge those aspects of who you are and what you bring to this world that are positive and that are enough, right? So those are two pieces I want to share. And then I got to throw one thing in there because it just made me think of it. I really believe this idea that we're valuable. And I think we talked about this at the red table, just because we exist. Mm. You don't have to do, have, be, say anything. You're valuable. I remember this vividly. Because you made it here to be on this planet. And there's so many people who did not. Yeah. I think it says that in the Daily Ohm, too. Yes. Yes. So I wouldn't, you know, I didn't make that up. But I remember when it was shared with me, it just, Mm -hmm. it was life changing for me. So I think this idea that you can acknowledge what your strengths are, sometimes it's enough to just acknowledge that strength. And just sit with that. And then to remember, your feelings are always valid. In the moment you feel them and they're real, but they are not. sure feel accurate. (laughs) (laughs) They do feel accurate. And I think part of it is practicing. How do we practice being in a space where I acknowledge this is what I'm feeling and not but. 
And I find ways to bring myself to a more positive plane when I'm feeling those things. So think about yourself sitting at the table and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have anything to contribute to this conversation. Mm -hmm. Maybe remembering me or somebody or remembering yourself saying, that's okay because there's nothing for me to contribute right now. And when the time comes for me to contribute, I'll be ready. What if you could remind yourself of that in those moments? Then there's less pressure to feel like I should be saying something. I should be doing something. Do you know what I mean? So just reframing it in the moment sometimes is what you need until that practice becomes automatic. Because at this point, your automatic thought is, right? And I'm sure you probably talked about this in therapy. Your automatic thought is, I'm not saying anything. And then it devolves into, I'm not worthy. Should I really be here? Why don't I have anything to say? Right, That's automatic. So what if the automatic starts to become, I had this conversation with somebody and they said to me, maybe it's okay that I don't have anything to say because that means I know myself well enough to know when do I contribute and when do I hang back? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely would have to be a reframing for me because I always go to, you don't even need to be sitting here because you ain't even saying nothing. Right. And then, but yeah. think about this, Cam. Think about what you represent just by being at the table. Think about mm-hmm. a generation of women, right? Who, like I, like I said, Jada and I are Gen X. When Jada's at the table, I know she's only speaking for Jada, but there's so many Gen X w- black women and women of color and women in general who look at her and are like, yeah, she's saying stuff that resonates with me. Same with Willow, right? As a Gen Zer. Right. It's the same for you, for your generation. You just, your presence. And as gorgeous and as radiant as you are and how you just show up, you are giving voice and visibility to so many women who are in your generation who might have felt they didn't have a voice and and nobody was reflecting their experiences. And you do that just by showing up. Right. Speaking of generations, do you think that self-doubt and these um, insecurities are feelings that are passed down through generations. Because I feel like I was born that way. My mother was was not this way. My father was not. I just don't know where it came from. But do you feel like those kinds of issues and fears are passed down through generations? 100%. I mean, not only are they passed down internally through generations, so you think about intergenerational trauma, mm-hmm. but you also think about societally. What kind of messages do we get from society? So even if it wasn't happening in your house that you were aware of, right? think about this. We don't know what was happening internally with our love. We don't know. All mm-hmm. we know is what they tell us. So I guarantee you there's somebody in the family somewhere, probably close, first degree relative who's struggling with the same stuff, but just never verbalize those things. So I think there's this internal part where we pass it generationally. I also think society gives us these messages. Think about women of your generation and what women were told they could and could not do. Right. Just think about that, right? I think about women of my generation. We could do a little bit more because of the sacrifices that you all made. And then I think about Willow's and my daughter's generation. Right. They do even more. So I think it's a little bit of both internal passing down, but also external messaging as well. Now, we also did a show on anxiety, and I never thought of myself as being somebody who is anxious. Is anxiety and self-doubt connected? But they're not the same, right? They're not the same. They're not the same. But anxiety and self-doubt can absolutely be uh, connected. So when you think about anxiety, 
I tend to think about anxiety as worry, right? Just make it in plain English. Worry that's out of proportion to whatever the stimulus is that's presented to you, right? So if something happens, whatever it is, like somebody cuts you off in traffic, many people who don't have anxiety, oh, they just cut me off in traffic. Maybe they get annoyed. An anxious person starts thinking stuff, well, was I in the wrong lane? What did I do wrong? Why did they cut me off? This is just the worst day ever, right? And it just starts spiraling. And so I think it's this idea of, think about fight or flight. We all have fight or flight, right? It's just, it's, in, it's born into us. Anxious people, their fight or flight is in overdrive, right? And it's varying degrees of overdrive. So it's not like everybody's at a 10 in flight all the time. But I think when you're anxious, your and my, because I'm anxious too, has a little more, you're a little more reactive. And so I think absolutely self-doubt contributes to that. They feed each other, right? So it's not, yeah. you, know, you don't necessarily know which came first, but they absolutely feed each other. 100%. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an example. I had a situation recently where... I had an opportunity to attend an event, right? And they only had one ticket, though. So -hmm. that meant I was going to have to go by myself. Mm -hmm. And it was an important event, something Mm -hmm. that I I really would have loved to attend, but I didn't want to go by myself. And I had all of these reasons why I couldn't go. I I, I can't go. I'm going to be at the table by myself. I won't know where to sit. I won't. There's not going to be anybody there. I just, I can't do it. And my husband was like, Adrian, you absolutely are going to know some people at the event. And what would happen? What would be the worst thing that would happen if you go and you're sitting at the table by yourself, you know how to talk to people. You know how to have conversation. And guess what? If you don't like it, you can get up and leave. And he really had to talk me into it. Yes. My PR rep was like, I, I will be there. I will be oh. there and I can greet you and make sure that you get in your seat and all of that. And, you know, and then I was like, okay, I I can do it. I I, I can do it. And then it turned out I had to work and I couldn't go anyway. (laughs) But then I got all ramped up and, you know, ready. I wanted to go. I was excited about going. It was an event that I actually really wanted to attend. I was just, I let my fear take over. So I see that anxiety because my head, I went to all this, just all these reasons why I absolutely could not do it. Yes. I, I just, it, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. And my That's, husband was, I, I mean, I love him so much. He just, he is a grounding force in my life. That's it. That's it. You That's know, what we but need. That, I, that was, I think, a, a really good example of anxiety and self-doubt. Like the two of them, like combusting and creating yes. such a, you know, a, a negative force in my mind. Yes, 100%. And it wasn't real. It just, you know, I just went left immediately. What about codependency? Does that that trigger self-doubt as well? Yeah, because think about it like this. Codependency is you can't, it's an extreme version of I am half a person and I need another half a person to be whole. Right. It's not Mm. I'm a a whole individual. This other person is a whole individual. And together we can be 
a whole couple or a whole partnership or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever your relationship is to that person. Codependency is really about we have to really sort of lean on each other so much that neither one of us can stand on our own. And of course, that's going to feed self-doubt because you think about it. If there are things that you should normally be able to do without any difficulty, I think in our minds, the codependency really sort of feeds this idea. Of course, I can't do that unless I have this other person to do whatever that thing is. So we don't give ourselves an opportunity. Remember, part of working through self-doubt is giving yourself enough data to see that when you're faced with a difficult situation, you can get through it. But if you're codependent and you always need that other person to help you get through whatever it is, when do you ever learn the lesson that you alone, like you said, in your daily own, are good enough by yourself just as you are? You don't give yourself an opportunity. So to me, of course, that naturally is going to feed self-doubt. And I think that's a natural tendency for those of us who have anxiety, especially if it's really high level anxiety where it's with us all the time and it's activated all the time. That's a natural tendency to go there because we're not trusting ourselves that we can do things on our own. And of course we can. We just need practice. Yeah. So how do you think the pandemic has affected or triggered people when it comes to self-doubt? Just that being forced to be alone all the time? uh it is. Yeah, you're forced to be alone with your thoughts. And you think mm-hmm. about it, you're, you also don't have opportunities to practice. Again, my thing is always about you got to practice behaviors to learn them and integrate them into your life day to day. When do you get to practice things? Like, say, for example, one of your things is you're socially shy, but you're really trying to work on engaging people. The pandemic forced you to be in the house more. So when do you get to practice? And what do you do? You revert back to the stuff that makes you feel comfortable. And sometimes the stuff that makes you feel comfortable. Remember what it said, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, but it's still a devil. Right. So you hanging out with that devil of self-doubt and it just, you're allowing it to grow. I think there's a, a part of it said that. I think there's a part of it where we think about things like depression and anxiety often go together, right? So you're maybe frustrated because you're in the house, anxious, your anxiety is growing, and then you get sad because your anxiety is getting worse. And then it's just a vicious cycle. So when do you get the opportunity to help pull yourself out of that if you're not out of the house doing things that help you relieve your anxiety? I remember one of the things you said was you like to be out in nature. Okay, and right? And, the nat- and nature helps you. I'm the same way. I like to be outside running or walking, especially we have like creeks and streams by where I live. I love being by the water. What happens if I can't get outside to be by the water? I'm just sitting with that anxiety. And one more thing I'll add is people who are able to do things like, let's say you figured out that exercise really helps you with your anxiety. Yeah. And you really like to go to the gym. During the pandemic, the gym was closed, right? right? So you couldn't go to the gym. And now that it's open, maybe you're worried about people are in there without masks. I don't want to go in there and get no germs. I don't want to get be exposed to COVID. And so you keep yourself in the house. So I think there are lots of ways in which, to your point, the pandemic and isolation and quarantine have really fed people's anxieties. Not intentionally, but it's just a byproduct. So what are the different things? Like, are there exercises or that we can do to just kind of help us with this, you know, things that we can do to build up our self-confidence. Absolutely. So I think it's baby steps. So one of the things we teach people when you're teaching them how to manage anxiety is something called exposure treatment. I think that without getting too formal, 
we can expose ourselves to things step by step in little baby steps to help us get more acclimated to doing those things and develop more confidence in ourselves that we can accomplish those things. So, for example, like when you said your husband was talking to you about going to this event by yourself, I think an example of that might be, can you sit quietly? This is what I teach my patients when I work with patients. Can you sit quietly and just visualize what would it be like to show up at that event? Let's just start there. Work on breathing. What do you need to do to help yourself be calm in the moment? Maybe you need to count, right? Just count to 10. Maybe you need to take deep breaths. I don't know. Maybe you need to give yourself some affirmations, but just pretend like you're in that moment and work yourself down away from that high level anxiety. That's step one. It's just visualization. Step two might be, let's go to an event together, together. And then you leave me by myself for 10 minutes. And let me work on what it feels like to be alone. But I know you're around here somewhere, right? Until you work your way up to, I actually can make an effort and make an attempt to go to an event by myself. So it's that visualization and practicing in baby steps. I always also say prevention is always so much better than intervention. So if you work on keeping your anxiety at a low level daily, every day you're doing something to help you manage your anxiety that and to build your self-confidence, right? Reflecting on something that's good about you, practicing affirmations, setting your intention. For some people, that's prayer. If mm-hmm. you can find something that you can do every day to reinforce your self-confidence, reinforce something that you like about yourself or multiple things that you like about yourself, those things start to become automatic. Remember how we were talking about the automatic thoughts where our right. brains go normally, right? So you got to build it up the same way you like sort of built yourself down into that self-doubt. So it's building ourselves back up and it's practicing it every day so that it's prevention instead of waiting until we're in the throes of, oh my yeah. God, I hate myself, I can't do it, and trying to talk ourselves out of it. It's, that's too hard. So prevention first is always the key. Okay. All right. I, I have a lot of work to do. I really do. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do. Is there any other advice that you would want to give Uh, people who are dealing with self-doubt like myself? Yes, I would say two things. Come back to remember what you said from the daily own and what I learned a long time ago. You're valuable because you exist. Remember that daily. That's one thing. Two, curate your news and curate the sources of information that you allow to come into your space, right? So some people love watching like network news or, you know, cable news or whatever the case may be, but it triggers anxiety. It makes them worry. You got to reduce the amount of news that you consume because you're really trying to calibrate and make sure that the stuff that you take in is not stuff that's sending your anxiety spinning. So always be mindful of what you're consuming in all different kinds of ways. Exercise is important. And then the final thing I will say is just try to find that one piece of light within yourself. Think about that one thing that you know you do better than anybody else Hmm. and remind yourself of that constantly. If you can continue to do that, you're always coming back every day to something that makes you feel good about yourself, that makes you positive, that gives you a boost. And hopefully, if you do that enough, that thing becomes automatic and you have at least one thing to help counter any of those aspects of self-doubt that you might be feeling. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Alfie. That, you know, I started out feeling anxious about just having the conversation, but I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that that you agreed to come on. 
So now it's time for this segment, Wouldn't You Like to Know? And I want to ask you three rapid-fire questions before you leave. What book are you currently reading? Oh, that's a good question. I'm always reading The Secret, some version of that, always. Okay, yeah, I'm familiar with that book. What's one thing you want to get off your chest? That I am, I have to remind myself of this, I am fearless, I am unapologetic about who I am as a Black woman, I love myself, and I demand that people show up and respect me exactly as I show up in the world and don't ask me to change anything. Ooh, (laughs) girl, yes, okay. (laughs) And seen and cut. (laughs) What's a motto you live by? Ooh. My, one of my favorites. I wish you lots of love and light, and I'm always hoping that your love and light and your mental health are informed by good, culturally relevant science. I love that. I love that motto. And where can people find you on social media? Yes, of course. So my kids and their friends call me Dralfi, <laughs> D-R-A-L-F-I-E-E. They always call me Dralfi. And somebody called me that yesterday and I was picking up food and I put Dr. Alpha. They were like, Dralfi. I was like, okay. <laughs> so Dralfi at all social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. Then I have a website, dralfi.com. And then people can also follow my nonprofit, the Acoma Project, A-A-K-O-M, Acoma Project, one word on all social media. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Alfie. Thank you for using your platform for this. And thank you for having me. I am, you know, I'm a forever, ever and ever fan. And I just appreciate you and your team so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. My most important takeaways from today's conversation is number one, your feelings are valid, but they're not always accurate. And number two, we are valuable because we exist. Enjoying this episode of Positively Gam? Then subscribe to the Positively Gam series to catch up on all of season two. And that's our show for today. You can follow me online at Gammy Norris. Also, help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and by hitting the follow button on iHeartRadio. Stay grateful, y'all. Positively Gam is produced by Red Table Talk Podcast and iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Adrian Banfield Norris, Fallon Jethro, and Jada Pinkett Smith. Our audio engineer is Calvin Bailiff. And our associate producer is Irene Bischoffberger. Our theme song is produced by D Beats. <laughs> <laughs>